This is Transistor.fm. Before we get started, I want to talk about Balsamic again. They're just a really interesting company to me. Uh, One thing that's interesting about them is they don't look at analytics ever. Instead, they're focused on talking to their customers as much as possible. And if you go to their site, you'll see there's a ton of ways to get in touch with them. Forums, email, phone. But they also have this new thing. I, I might copy this, actually called a customer advisory board. You sign up and you get to talk to them directly and influence their roadmap and the future of their products. Really cool. They also have office hours with Balsamic mentors. Uh, You can check it all out at balsamic.com slash giving back. Hello and welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2019. I'm Justin Jackson. My co-founder, John Buda, is somewhere in Europe. But today I have my friend Taylor Otwell on the show. Hey, Taylor. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Good. Um, I thought it would be interesting to have you on the show because you are the creator of Laravel, uh, actually, could you briefly describe what that is for people that might not know? Yep. So in 2011, I created Poor Man's Ruby on Rails called Laravel for <laughs> PHP. No, but it's basically a web framework uh, that I created in PHP that lets people build their applications faster. And it is sort of in the spirit of um, Ruby on Rails for the Ruby language. So it's sort of geared towards rapid prototyping, um, letting just one or two developers work really quickly to build a really powerful web application. Yeah. So, and it's open source, right? Is yes. it? It's one of the most popular repos on GitHub. Is that right? As far as backend frameworks go, yes, it's one of the most popular uh, backend frameworks on GitHub. The, the most popular, actually. And what does that mean, like, for any of the business folks that are listening? Like, how do you quantify what's popular? Well, there's kind of two ways on GitHub. So one is just sort of contribution activity and the amount of people contributing to the framework. And then there's also a way to sort of favorite uh, open source repositories on GitHub using stars or likes and stuff like that. So usually people measure their stars. I like to also look at the contribution activity um, just to see like how sort of active the project is. So sort of in both cases, Laravel's basically at the front of the pack in terms of backend web frameworks. Yeah. And and can you tell how many like new projects are started with Laravel in a month or how many times it's downloaded? So, yeah, I mean, it's downloaded millions of times a month. Um, it's hard to really quantify with how that translates into projects because um, every time someone updates their Laravel version, you know, that increments that download counter. So I don't actually have a great way to know how many businesses are building new stuff on Laravel. You know, I'm sure tens of thousands or even a hundred thousand uh, companies are using Laravel. Yeah, it's cra- the part that's crazy for me, as someone who kind of came from outside your world, outside the PHP world, is when I went to your conference, Laracon. Um, I went to the one in New York, and then last year I went to the one in Chicago. And I think especially the one in Chicago, it just helped me understand on a human scale what was going on. Because you were like, hey, Justin, let's go check out the lineup. And we went, and in this science center in Chicago, we're going down the escalator, and you can just see this huge lineup. And it was like wrapped around, they had like a, a train car in the middle, and it was like wrapped around that train car. 
Mm-hmm. That was crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really crazy. And I think part of the reason that's the case is that Laravel came at a very opportune time in PHP's history, and it was sort of a light in the darkness. And so like in the kind of human story of Laravel, I feel like there were a lot of people doing PHP before Laravel that were really sort of burned out on PHP. And maybe they, they didn't enjoy their job, um, their tools, they weren't very nice to work with. And then Laravel came out and have had and still has a big emphasis on developer experience and sort of developer happiness. And a lot of people come up to me at these conferences and they're like, you know, I hated my job, I hated what I was doing, and now you know, I'm using Laravel and not only do I like my job, maybe I'm starting my own little side project because Laravel was sort of geared for that, you know, because it is so easy to work with. And it just really helped them in like a very personal way um, in their life. And so they tend to be really passionate about it, I found, and they sort of latch on to it and find a lot of community inside of it. Yeah. Did you set out to do that from the beginning? Yeah, actually. Actually, I did think about that from the very beginning because I felt like everybody wants to kind of feel like they're a part of something. You know what I mean? And if you can build sort of this cool community around a tool and make people feel welcome and sort of included in this sort of interesting story in PHP's history and improving PHP, then people naturally gravitate towards that. Um, And so, yeah, that was sort of intentional to build a community in that way because I felt like everyone sort of has that desire inside of them (laughs) to be part of something like that. How how did you have that insight, though? Was that something... Because I felt that way personally. (laughs) You know, like I felt like... I just had kind of identified these times in my life where I felt like I was a part of something and that was those really good moments in my life. Whether mm-hmm. even like simple things like when I was part of a drum line in college or like when I was um, you know, in high school and in some group or whatever. And mm-hmm. those were just like very positive experiences and I think that everyone sort of socially wants those experiences deep down. Yeah. And so... It was almost like a psychological hack in a way, although not really in like a malicious way. But I knew that if I could tap into that, then I could probably build a fairly large community. And so were you just observing, I mean, you were clearly observing Ruby on Rails, Mm -hmm. but you must have also been observing what was going on in the PHP world. And there's like Cake PHP and there's Code Igniter. Like, were you just seeing the opportunity of, wait a second, they're missing this crucial piece. Yeah, so I started doing PHP on the side because I wanted to launch my own side projects. In my full-time job, I was doing .NET development. I had never really done PHP much at all, except a friend had used it in college and just sort of had offhand commented that it was pretty easy to use. And so when I wanted to start a side project, hosting .NET on your own for your own side project at the time, which is sort of a chore. So I went to PHP. I started using some of the tools and um, they were okay, you know, like Code Igniter. And I didn't even really sample a lot of the tools. I really only used Code Igniter. It's not like I tried a lot of them. And I was like, uh, this is okay, but I, th- I really wanted some of the features that I saw in other frameworks, like Rails, even like some of the .NET web stuff, and uh, kind of set out to make my own thing. But I, I didn't even necessarily have the intention of making it a big deal until maybe four or five months into the process. I was just sort of building it so that with the end goal of launching my own, you know, web apps and startups. Okay. And so what year was this? 
Uh, this was late 2010. 2010. And Laravel shipped in 2011, June 2011. Okay. So it was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Went, and was it exactly like this? Like you're like working at this .NET job in the day. Mm-hmm. And then on the side, you're like, I want to build my own projects. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to choose PHP. And then you're, you see that there's this need for a framework. And so you started building that right away. And it took about a year? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I feel like I probably started working on Laravel in like September, October 2010. Okay. And shipped 1.0 in June 2011. But yeah, I mean, that's basically exactly how the story went. And what else was going on in your life at the time, like in 2010? I was pretty recently married and we had our first child. and We were living in a small apartment. I had... You know, I actually had like a very cheap Windows laptop. I didn't, I, I actually was not like very techy or nerdy, um, surprisingly. Okay. Um, I didn't like come home really and just like nerd out on the computer a lot. And, um, but once I had this idea, I like really dove into it hardcore and would stay up until like, you know, my wife would go to bed at like 9 p.m. and I would stay up until like 1 a.m. pretty regularly. I just seemed to have like quite a bit more energy back then. Um, <laughs> for some reason, but, um, so I would hack on it, you know, on my, uh, just like flimsy Acer windows laptop for like four hours a night. And, you know, over the months it kind of came together. That's crazy. What's weird. There's a bunch of weird things to me. Like you, you didn't think you, like you weren't really that nerdy of a guy. You weren't, uh, you weren't super into computers or anything. Yeah. Like a matter of fact, when I, I graduated from Arkansas tech university in 2008, and I had an IT degree, but I was actually so not interested in programming that I actually considered just getting a different job outside of IT entirely. Like it just wasn't, um, I think it was because I hadn't been presented um, programming in sort of a way that captured my attention yet. Mm-hmm. And so I just wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to kind of do. But I just happened to fall into a full-time job that that's what I did. So um, that kind of solved that problem. Yeah. What's weird for me is because you have a podcast called Laravel Snip- Snippets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you talk about programming, it's clear that now you're passionate about it. Like you'll comment on, you know, the debate of the day on Twitter. You'll you'll give your opinion on, you know, what you think is the best way to do things. So what what changed? What changed from you feeling like you just wanted to get a different job and not be in programming at all to kind of being captured and raptured by this idea. I think a big thing is I hadn't really grasped programming as sort of this blank canvas for my own ideas. It was all sort of um, working on other businesses, kind of boring ideas, like, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of stuffy, like main, you know, make a change to this accounting routine for this, um, huge company or, uh, you know, change little programs like that. But it wasn't like this blank canvas where the sky's the limit and I can basically build anything, um, any web app I want to and, and make money off of it. You know, I just didn't really have that vision <laughs> at the mm-hmm. time. So to me, programming was like f- literally for the first couple of years of my job, I went to work, I did my programming job and I went home and I didn't think about programming at all. Um, I didn't get on GitHub. I didn't do any of that. Did you, did you have a profile on GitHub? 
I don't think so. No. Was there something going on in the startup world that interested you? So what drew me in actually was um, this kind of jogging my memory. I wanted to be able to sort of work from home and set my own hours. And that, that was sort of the impetus for figuring out how to make money in other ways. And um, I know there wasn't really anything going on like in the startup world. Um, I just kind of would think up little ideas. I mean, just stupid little stuff, you know, like an invoice manager for lawn companies or like um, just little business ideas, you know. And I wasn't necessarily trying to make millions of dollars. Maybe if I could just make 100000 a year, then that would be great, especially here in Arkansas. I could just work from home and kind of set my own hours and like we would have enough money to live comfortably and all that. And so, okay, so you're, you're working this .NET job that's kind of boring. You recently married, you've got a, a baby, mm-hmm. you're living in this little apartment, and the motivation was, wait a second, I, if I want a better life, maybe I could build something on the web. Mm-hmm. That would make us an independent income and we can get out of this, you know, it would help improve our life on multiple vectors, right? I would have to go to this boring job. I wouldn't have to, uh, you know, we could live more comfortably. We could, you know, you, you saw that there was a potential for something bigger. Yeah, exactly. But you didn't have any role models? Like, were, were, were there no people that you were really, like, kind of following or was it just... Uh, like, were you on Twitter and noticing folks there or? No, I really wasn't on Twitter. Um, you know, I mean, I guess my biggest role models at the time were just like Steve Jobs. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it wasn't like any other programmers necessarily until I got deeper in, you know, once I got like deeper into working on Laravel and was looking at other frameworks like Rails and um, uh, what else at the time, like Flask and Sinatra and Ruby flask is in python but um you know then i started to kind of pay attention to other programmers yeah but yeah at first i didn't really i just didn't know anyone like that you know because i was sort of out of the loop mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that's kind of like a common thread also in the laravel community you, you mentioned that earlier right like for for laravel developers this can turn their life from being kind of boring and tedious, uninspiring to a place where they actually enjoy their work. Yeah. And they enjoy their life. Yeah. They I talked to more- I talked to like, you know, people in their thirties and forties that were doing other careers, like maybe they were a car salesman or a real estate agent or whatever, just something entirely separate from programming. And they just sort of Maybe they did a couple of programming classes in college or or whatever, and uh, they kind of start learning Laravel and literally become full time Laravel people. It's really crazy, actually. Wow! Just to back up even more, did did you like were you programming in high school or before that? Uh, so I did like HTML and and CSS in high school. Some I never wrote really like intense programs other than programming my TI-83 graphing calculator was the only, yeah. like, I feel like the only real programming I did in high school outside of HTML because, like, when I was a kid, when I was in, like, a middle school, I would make, like, little Pokemon sites, right, with HTML and like, yeah. put them out on GeoCities or whatever. Like, I did all that, um, but I didn't write any serious web programming. Interesting. See, 
I, I'm just looking at the Stack Overflow survey in 2019, mm-hmm. and this I p- thought this part was interesting. Over half of respondents had written their first line of code by the time they were 16, although this experience varies by country and by gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always thought that was so interesting that there's so many, and I, I don't know how, like, that's pretty general. I mean, you know, I uh, I, I wrote code before I was 16, but I would have never said I was a programmer. And I Yeah, me too. I think I would have been the same way. Yeah. I think this is another thing I found really inspiring about the, the Laravel community is as someone who has always been into computers, but never could grasp programming, when I'm at Laracon and I'm meeting that real estate guy that was like, oh yeah, I, I just like started like two months ago. <laughs> it made me feel like, oh wow, this is, this is completely approachable. This is not um, just for folks that, you know, wrote full, you know, were writing full binaries by the time they were 12. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's like goes beyond that. The crazy part for me, though, is that because you're kind of the leader of this movement, but you came to this pretty late, right? Yeah, you could say so. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I wasn't that kid, you know, hacking Linux at uh, 14 years old or whatever. Yeah. What, what were you in, what were you really interested in high school? Um, I was into sort of, um, you know, just kind of tech stuff in general, like video games and computers and, you know, uh, AIM chat a lot and just like yeah. making little websites. But I don't know, just normal high school kid stuff too. You know, like I played basketball. I was in the drum line in the band. Like I had other activities too. I wasn't just like strictly this computer guy necessarily. Mm-hmm. And was there a reason you decided to go to school for computers? Um, it was really the only thing that... Um, I had sort of a natural interest in, and actually my degree in IT was more like computer networking. You know, it wasn't like computer programming. Okay. So my whole way through school, through college, I'm actually envisioning myself as like sort of a network, I don't know what you call it, like a network administrator or whatever. I'm not picturing myself writing programming code. You're seeing yourself in an office pulling cable. Exactly. Yeah. And those are the, and I applied for jobs like that um, when I was, um, you know, had just graduated or was fixing to graduate. And I don't know, thankfully, you know, a, pro, a company that needed a programmer sort of brought me on board. And how do you remember how you got that job? So they, this particular company, it's Arkansas Best Freight here in Arkansas. It's actually a pretty large um, trucking company, like across the whole United States. Mm-hmm. And um, they came to my college. They were a couple hours away, their headquarters in a town called Fort Smith, Arkansas. And they came to my college and interviewed people. And they have this kind of unique approach where they like to hire all their programmers fresh out of college. And then they immediately put you through six months of their own in-house programming training. Okay. So I feel like I really learned a for real program in those six months of training at Arkansas Best Freight. Um, and I learned like COBOL, I learned .NET, um, I learned ASP, classic ASP. And that was, I mean, they really literally almost started you from scratch as if you had not had any programming experience at all in college whatsoever. Because I had only actually had two classes, like two basic C++ classes, because again, my degree was not computer programming at all. It was computer yeah. networking. So that was where I really learned to program and Thankfully, that company was around because my story would be like a lot different you know, if they hadn't uh, been yeah. around. You could be like still like 
configuring someone's uh, router right now. Yeah, if that. Like, I mean, some of the jobs, like I said, weren't even programming related. Like, I applied to be like the manager at a hotel or like, I mean, literally just other random stuff like that. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's refreshing to hear, I think, because um, now Laravel is this huge thing. Mm. And I think people miss out on some of that journey, you know? I, I remember in uh, 2008, I decided to change careers. I was 28 years old, and we already had a couple kids by this point. And I was like, I, I had worked with nonprofits, but then I was like, what am I going to do now? Like, uh, who's going to hire me? And I, I was doing the same thing. I applied to be a window salesman. Uh, I applied to work at the Apple store. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. just applying everywhere. And in the same way, the software company decided to hire me. But if that hadn't happened... I might still be selling windows, you know? Right, yeah. It's so weird. I know, yeah. I feel like my story could have been way different than it is now, for sure. Crazy. Okay, in a bit, I want to talk about Laravel as a business. But before that, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsor, Clubhouse. Uh, you know, if you're serious about building software, you need a good way to manage tasks, chores, bugs. That's how you get things done. You make a list and you just start checking things off. And honestly, I've tried so many of these tools. Trello is just too light. Uh, Jira is like, <laughs> this is a mess. I cannot use that. Clubhouse is just makes it easy to manage the whole product development process. It puts everybody on the same page. It's what John and I are, we've used it a bunch today to ship faster here at Transistor. If you haven't tried it yet, I think you should go try it. You get two months free if you use this URL, clubhouse.io slash build. That's a .io domain. Don't see as many of those now. <laughs> it's good. Now, now they can stick out in people's minds. Uh, okay, so you launched Laravel in 2011. Uh, did it take off right away? Um, it gained some momentum pretty quickly. It didn't become like the uh, number one PHP framework for years. But um, it sort of got a nice reaction um, right from the start. Um, I think it was just sort of a breath of fresh air for people. Um, it leveraged some of the new features of PHP at the time and was just sort of different and more developer-friendly than pretty much anything out there at the time. So I think that's why people launched onto it, latched onto it. And then also yeah. a big emphasis for me was I had a lot of documentation like from day one like because I had seen so many um, tools at this point that were kind of thrown out there and it was like documentation coming soon. You know, and it was just like, well, okay, that's not very helpful. So I, I wanted to make sure that I had really good documentation because I really felt like whoever had the best documentation in a lot of ways, like, is going to win. And whoever's the most accessible and approachable is going to win. And I mean, that's why WordPress is so hugely popular, you know? Yeah. Huh. So I, I keep trying to like get back to like kind of what the daily grind was like because you, You'd spent a year doing this on the side. You get home, you know, you you might, you know, you spend some time with the baby, you mm -hmm. put the baby to sleep, and then you're hacking away at this cheap little laptop until yep. early in the morning. <laughs> yep. uh, did By the way, did your spouse, was she like, what are you doing? Or was she, what was her reaction to this? Yeah, she was like pretty excited about it, actually. I mean, like I would explain it to her. Um, and even though she wasn't a programmer, like she understood like the, the end goals were exciting, right? To like launch this thing. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, once I put Laravel out there, it was still unclear how I was ever going to make money off of it. But, um, 
Um, at least it was getting more popular and stuff like that, but I hadn't actually made a single cent from it yet. But she, yeah. was, she was excited about the initial end goal of like launching our own business and making this independent income. Yeah. And at this time, were you thinking Laravel was going to be the business or were you thinking, no, no, this is just a means to an end. This is how I'm going to build my own web app. Yeah. It was still just a means to an end. And like I even started building um, other apps with Laravel, you know, that weren't related to Laravel. So like I remember me and a guy tried to build this little invoicing software called CoinFly and uh, he was actually one of the first Laravel users and a, a guy that actually lived in Arkansas at the time, uh, which was kind of coincidental. But um, yeah, so I mean, it was still very much a means to an end. Even after Laravel came out, I was still hacking not only on Laravel, but still trying to find like some way to make money. Okay, so so you launched it in 2011. Mm-hmm. What, 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 at what point did you launch CoinFly? Uh, that must have been sometime in 2011. Um, because, you know, not long after I launched Laravel in 2011, just six months later in December, I get an email from Ian Landsman of Userscape saying that they're looking for a PHP developer and that he kind of liked what he saw in Laravel and wanted to talk to me about it. And that was sort okay. of the beginning of my journey over to Userscape and becoming a full-time PHP developer. Okay, so Ian sees you raising a ruckus. Mm-hmm. He likes it. <laughs> He sent an. Were you familiar with Ian or Userscape no, at, at all. the time? No. Okay. And so, uh, six months after you launched Laravel, you get this job offer, mm-hmm. um, and you had already tried Coin Coinfly at this point. Yeah, I think so. I think it must have been a little bit before Userscape. I don't remember working on that after Userscape. And and what happened with Coinfly? Uh, we launched it, and I actually used it some, but like no one, no one else signed up. Really, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I I didn't have you know a seventy thousand Twitter followers back then. I just had like a few hundred, so yeah. I wasn't launching to like a massive audience, and it just never really took off. So I will say though that I feel like the spiritual successor to Coinfly is still around in an app called Push Silver. Is it okay. push, pushsilver.com? Yeah, pushsilver.com, and it is a Laravel app. So sort of the dream of that lives on, and it's built built by my friend, uh, David Hempel. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> someone else, so someone else ended up doing it. Yep, and I still use it for all Laracon invoicing to this day. Okay, cool. <laughs> Ian offers you this job, and you're like, okay, well, this, this uh, coin fly thing didn't work out. And so you, you say yes, and... You were just working remote for Ian? Yeah, I just worked from home. So we actually, once that started, we actually moved back. Now that I was sort of location independent, we moved back closer to where I grew up. And I'm working from home, um, you know, just, yeah, working with, we had two other developers or one other developer at the time. And, uh, you know, just all on hip chat during the day and hacking away on PHP projects. Interesting. Okay, so... In a way, Laravel did, after launch, six months later, get you a bunch of the progress you wanted. Yeah, yeah, which is, yeah, yeah, for sure. You wanted to be able to move back to Little Rock. Yep, so we sort of achieved the work from home. Um, you know, my hours weren't totally flexible, but they were more fl- definitely more flexible than sort of this job I had to go to where I had to wear business casual every day and you mm-hmm. know, like be there at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I'd love to see some photos of Taylor Otwell in business casual. <laughs> uh, I still have my company photo actually from my job there. I think that that there there is something about remote work. I had this like article called the Freedom Ladder, and for me, once like remote work was a bunch of rungs 
up the freedom ladder because yeah. you, it does you can get up you can wear what you want you have this it feels like you are more of a master of your domain you know yeah i agree cool so you're you're working with userscape what happens next like you're just and you're still working on laravel on the side yeah so there's sort of two roads that sort of i'm traveling at this point. So I'm working for Userscape and we're building a product called Snappy, which is a new help desk startup that Ian wants to build. So Ian already has HelpSpot and it's sort of this big uh, help desk product that big companies use. And he wants to build sort of, he his initial version vision of it was sort of the tumbler of help desk, you know, this very minimal help desk that has way stripped down features and is very easy to use for teams of, let's say, like four to five people. That may, maybe right now they're just saying like a Gmail inbox. So right, so we're building that. That's one side. That's sort of my userscape side. And then kind of on the Laravel side, I'm still trying to find a way to monetize it. So what I do is I actually write an ebook called Laravel from Apprentice to Artisan. And I sell it on LeanPub for like 30 bucks. And I end up making like $70,000 off of this ebook. Um, which at the time was like just a crazy success, you know, and um, and gave me a lot of extra money. Um, off, off the first time, I'd really like sort of cashed in on some of Laravel's value. Yeah, and what year was that? Oh gosh, that had to be like 2012 or 30 or 2013. It's, it was a while back. It's still up on LeanPub yeah, right now. Yeah, I still get like 20 bucks a month. On <laughs> so, I mean, it was last updated September 2013. I don't know when it was published. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to take me through that process a little bit. So, okay. At work, you're building this real web app um, from ground up using Laravel, mm-hmm. which must have been kind of cool in in of itself. Yeah. And then on the side, I'm guessing at this point, because now it's 2013, it's two years later, Laravel has picked up more steam. Yeah, it's picked up a lot more steam and thanks partly to some other community members that kind of came on board and built training materials around it. So like there was a guy in London or in UK named Dale Reese who actually wrote another kind of longer ebook about Laravel called, um, was it called Code Happy or something like that at the time? And he made a lot of money from that, you know, like a six, a six figure ebook. And that was before I had even written mine. And, um, Jeffrey Way eventually started making Laracast around probably around this time. And that is also like a big sort of, um, you know, throwing gas on the fire of this Laravel thing because we just have more and more sort of educational resources, onboarding resources, and sort of the snowball really gets rolling in terms of building up more and more people into the Laravel community. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually interesting in of itself. The fact that there's, some key because fo- Jeffrey Way already had a little bit of a following right before Laravel, right? Yeah, a lot of people knew of Jeffrey Way before Laravel, and like when I've been around him at Laracon, like people come up to him and say, like, "Oh, I watched your WordPress videos like back before Laravel even existed," you know. So he had, I mean, he had a pretty decent Twitter following, I think, before he ever even came into the Laravel world. Yeah, and so he decides to kind of hook his train to Laravel. And okay, and so you're seeing you're seeing you know Jeffrey Way is doing training videos for for uh, yeah he started in 2013 yeah so 
Uh, you see him doing his thing. You see this other guy write this book and you're like, hold up. I still haven't made anything at this point, by the way. <laughs> so like Jeffrey, is, he was the first full-time person to take Laravel and turn it into like a, a full-time side thing mm-hmm. successfully. And so now you're thinking I should do something. Yeah. So I get the book, ebook out in 2013. And then the, what really is the real game changer is in 2014, the next year, I build my first SaaS application, Laravel Forge, which is like my server provisioning tool for Laravel and lets people deploy their Laravel applications. And I, um, I start building that in 20, late 2014. And again, I'm kind of in that mode of working, you know, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. for like six or seven months straight. And then summer 2015, I launch it at Laracon in New York City. And, you know, within a few months was making more than I was making at my day job. So that's when really everything changed. So you start working on Forge in 2014. Yeah, late 2014. And then 2015, you launched it at Laracon. Has Laracon been going on for a while now? Let me see. That was just the second Laracon, I think. Okay. Okay, wait, I have, I look, let me look at this. I'm looking at the Laravel news articles and stuff from way back then. No, I'm wrong. I launched Forge in summer 2014. I started working at the end of 2013 after the book was sort of released and done. Okay. So I was off by a year. So summer 2014, Forge comes out in New York City at Laracon, which is Laracon number two. Okay. And how many people were at that Laracon? About 240. Okay, so you already figured out and the first Laracon had like 50 people or something? The first Laracon was 90 people in Washington, D.C. Um, by the way, when you launched that first event, was mm-hmm. that a little bit of a revelation too? Like, I can get 90 people? Or was it a disappointment? Like, were you hoping? I was didn't think we would even be able to get that many people. Like, Ian, my boss, was the one who really kind of wanted to do the conference. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough interest in this, blah, blah, blah. And he really felt like we could get 90 people in Washington, D.C. to come. And uh, he was right. Like, we sold out. And, um, you know, it felt, like, bigger at the time. You know, a 90-person conference would look so tiny if I walked into one. But at the time, it just felt like this really cool party thing. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of fun. It must That must have been a bit weird, though, hey? Like, you you weren't sure. And now, all of a sudden... You're meeting people in real life who are really excited about this. Yeah, it's sort of the first time I experienced like, you know, Laravel crazed people in real life. And were they saying things to you that were like, do you remember any of that, those initial meetings? Like, was there anything in that that you're like, holy shit? (laughs) I just remember people being, you know, so excited about it, wanting to take pictures uh, with me and stuff. And that was crazy too. Um, Yeah, but and then it only got kind of crazier from there. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's kind of cool actually that Ian was pushing you along here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think, I wouldn't have done it out of my own initiative. Yeah. And he was, he was okay with this, that Taylor's kind of building this big thing on the side. I mean, he's clearly using it too, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it was more beneficial for me than it was for him. Like there was, I don't know if there was some sense of like, Hey, it's sort of mutually beneficial for userscape. We're sort of, you know, out there, we're building Snappy and us kind of uh, benefiting off each other, like the Laravel crowd, and we can kind of show Snappy to these people and they will know about Snappy. But I think at the end of the day, it was more beneficial for me than it was for Userscape. Uh, But I'm sure there was, you know, some of that. Um, Snappy, of course, was like a sponsor of these events and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. 
I mean, tail, I mean, uh, Ian still shows up at every Laracon, so it must be okay for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so you launched Forge in 2014 at Laracon, and were people, was it an immediate success? Like, what happened? Yeah, it was actually a fairly immediate success, I feel like. Like, I don't remember the exact how fast it grew, but I know I was making... Um, Ninety or hundred thousand a year within a few weeks off of Laravel Forge, like it was a pretty wow. immediate success in that regard. And I did not, I didn't know, have any idea what to expect. Like before I launched it, I was just like talking with my wife and like, you know, maybe it will make two or three thousand a month, and that's fine. Like it just gives us some extra money, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But I did not expect it necessarily to grow as fast as it did. Wow. So this thing launches and it's like a crazy success because you said within a few weeks. I feel like within a month or so, I was I had passed like my day job income, so I feel like I was making a little over a hundred thousand a year, maybe. Now that is definitely significant, and you've already experienced this to a certain extent because you when you launched CoinFly, you saw you know one reaction, Mm -hmm. and then you launched your ebook and you saw another reaction. Yeah, and then you you did the conference, and you're seeing that growing. Mm-hmm. But this is a whole other scale. This is more than you know the 240 people you got to Laracon. This is a lot of customers yeah. all at once. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I had about a thousand customers in that first month or so. Wow! And how did they find out about it? Um, you know, probably online via Twitter. Um, I'm sure a lot of them were at the conference. Then, of course, we had um, Laracon EU was happening just a month later. That was another couple hundred people um so you know we had 500 people coming to laracon in person um so having sort of a thousand people around the world that could use this product i guess was fairly achievable at the time um given our audience do you you feel it was mostly folks at laracon that were signing up i don't know what the percentages were you know i'm sure a significant number of them signed up because it was a pretty cheap product it was only ten dollars a month at the time Mm -hmm. at the time so it was pretty accessible for people and it actually did save you a lot of time like it was a pretty valuable product um and there wasn't quite anything like it out there at the time you could either kind of go all in on heroku and have Mm -hmm. sort of this managed service that's quite expensive you could do it all by hand yourself which is like you know googling on stack overflow for hours trying to find out little bugs or you could pay 10 bucks a month and have a server ready to go in like 10 minutes and so I think for a lot of people, it was really a no-brainer at the time. And I was really scratching my own itch and building it because I had felt that pain. I'm just trying to imagine this because with Transistor, we've had kind of this slow ramp up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and our price points, our initial price point is higher than yours. We started at $19 a month for our entry-level tier. Yeah, We still get quite a bit of customer support. Like I'd say I have to respond to probably 5, 10, sometimes even 20 things a day. Right. Were were you how were you handling all the support for these thousand customers? I would just have to try to um answer emails like on my lunch break, answer emails just like when I had a spare minute. I didn't actually have a ton of support right off the bat. Um, but I would try to like make blog posts. If there was like a common thing that people were having trouble with, try to like you know, educate people on that so they don't have to bug me about it. Just stuff like that, you know. 
So you didn't find it overwhelming? I don't remember it being particularly overwhelming at the time. I mean, Forge had less features at the time, so maybe there was just sort of less things to support. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Surprisingly, it wasn't super overwhelming at first in terms of customer support. Because the, the common wisdom might be, whoa, $10 a month, that's, not, that's a low price point, and you're going to have all these people, and they're going to they're gonna suck you dry. Yeah. But you were fine. Yeah, in my case, I can definitely understand that line of reasoning, though. I think there's definitely probably some truth in there, but some, I don't know. For this case, I just didn't have a ton of customer support flooding in like that. And, and, and so at what point did you quit your job? Is this around the time where you quit your job? Yeah, pretty close. So on that customer support thing, I think another thing that probably played into that where all these Laravel developers were used to helping each other on forums already. And so like when Forge came out, of course, Laracast has like a Forge forum and people are like self-supporting each other a lot and, you know, posting their questions, posting their answers. And so that probably contributed as well. Whereas other startups probably don't have that same scenario, you know, where there's a bunch of interested people helping each other learn how to use Transistor necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Towards the fall or winter of that same year, 2014, it's starting to become sort of apparent like running Forge and staying at Userscape is not going to be sustainable long term because it is getting, at this point, it is getting like too big, you know, and there's just too much stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sort of, Ian and I sort of run an experiment where I work every other week for Userscape and, of course, cut my pay down. But I, I get to keep the Userscape health insurance, which was nice at the time because I was kind of scared to sort of go out on my own because I, I was making decent money, but I wasn't making just like, you know, millions of dollars a year. Yeah. Um, so I was scared to kind of go out on my own with no fallback, buy my own health insurance, blah, blah, blah. So we, we try that for a few months and then we decide we're going to decide at the end of the year, you know, either to continue on with the every other week or just kind of um, I'll leave Userscape and do Laravel full-time. So we get to the end of the year and basically come to the decision that I'm just going to leave Userscape and now I'm going to be on my own. January 1st, 2015 is the first day I'm full-time Laravel on my own. Wow. And was that just a crazy feeling? Yeah. I mean, it felt like once, I remember once that started, it felt like I had all the time in the world to do whatever I wanted, you know, like <laughs> truly like, and I felt like I had, overnight developed a huge competitive advantage over other open source frameworks as well because they're sort of scraping by on volunteer effort and you know people that are tired after their day job whereas I was fresh every day eight hours working on Laravel and Forge and I think really put us pretty far ahead in these next couple of years in terms of other open source PHP projects. Yeah and did you feel or worry that you were going to lose your edge? You know, sometimes when you're doing it on the side, it's like you, you've got this, you're really hungry. Did you worry about losing that or was it okay? Um, it went okay. I think because I developed this sort of like really competitive nature in terms of PHP open source projects and I wanted to like keep it going and be like the best it could be. Mm-hmm. And I was just really passionate about it personally. I wanted to make like just the best developer experience I could. I wanted to help people out and people to really have enjoy it and have a lot of fun with it. And so I was just kind of continually driven and wanted to keep working on it. I didn't really have any big burnout on it or anything. Yeah. So you're really driven to see Laravel succeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now of course it's four years later. Um, 
And you've developed other products, right? You have Laravel Forge. What else do you have? Yeah, so actually just seven months after Forge comes out, in February 2015, I launched Envoyer.io, which is a zero downtime deployment PHP SaaS. Um, so I launched that just sort of out of the blue, actually. Not any conference around it, no like big announcement. Like you know, I kind of teased it a little bit on Twitter, and then boom, there's another Laravel SaaS. Um, not even a year after Forge. And it was a smaller scope than Forge, so it was a little easier to build. Mm-hmm. And it also, like, I sort of used these projects to dog food Laravel itself. So I finished Forge, and now I sort of, I want to build something else with Laravel to sort of try out new features, you know, see what sucks about the framework right now. Because as I'm building this app, I'm going to see, like, this is kind of crap. You know, I, I could improve this about Laravel. So I mm-hmm. build Envoyer and I put it out there and um, uh, that also grows, you know, it does pretty well. And then I also, the year after that, I guess 2016, I announced Laravel Spark, which, so all the experience I had building Forge and Envoyer, I baked that into Spark as sort of the SaaS starter kit for Laravel. So like all the subscription management, the letting people download their invoices, blah, 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 all of that sort of cruft. I just sort of packaged up in this thing called Laravel Spark. And the idea was, you know, it's sort of like a spark for your next big idea or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and start selling that as sort of a one-time purchase download, whereas my other things were SaaSes. How much do you consider yourself a business person? <laughs> uh, not much. I mean, definitely have some imposter syndrome there where I feel like I barely know what I'm doing from a business perspective. And actually gives me a lot of sympathy towards like other uh, you know, bosses of programmers because it's like hard. It's really hard to make that transition from being a programmer to sort of managing other employees and managing a business and I don't know, knowing how to keep people happy and engaged. Do you, do you feel, because I mean, from the outside, it looks like everything's running great. So do you feel like, and you're still writing a ton of code, like the the kind of keynote of every Laracon is you getting up and and you've been you build up anticipation yeah. to this moment where you you then have your Steve Jobs moment and you you describe what you have been working on. So you're writing a lot of code. Yeah, a lot. Do you think that'll continue? Like, will you continue to be uh, the major kind of contributor to these Laravel projects? Um, I'd like to believe so. So like every time I've launched an idea, so like even after Forge, after Envoy, or after Spark, after Nova. Every time I launch it, I come off stage and essentially I'm like, I don't have another idea. You know, like I'm out of ideas and I never know if that's true or not. And like so far that has always been not true, but I feel like there is a day coming where that's it. You know, like there is no big thing around the corner and I sort of release all I have to release and that's it kind of. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm sort of okay with that. I mean, like it's just not realistic, you know, to think that you can kind of carry on these big launches year after year after year for like 10 years. That just doesn't make sense. And yeah, eventually like it's just going to collapse under itself. I feel like, (laughs) but one thing that's interesting, because there's other people involved in the ecosystem, Mm -hmm. these ideas that you're coming up with have all been successful. Mm -hmm. So what are you noticing that other people don't. I think a lot of it is I own the framework and that lets me build really tailored 
high quality solutions for the framework because I can even make changes to the framework if I need to because I have total power over everything. So not that Laravel is anything like Apple, but it is similar in a sense that they own the hardware and the software. So with Laravel, I own the framework and I own the products and I can make them work really well together in a way that other people can't, even if they're building Laravel stuff. Like even for this new product, I've been secretly molding Laravel behind the scenes, like getting it ready for this new product. And other people wouldn't have been able to build the product because Laravel wouldn't have worked with it. And so I feel like that's part of the secret sauce. And then also it's just the fact that I, you know, I work full time on it and a lot of people, they just can't, you know, they can't put that amount of time into it. So those are two big advantages. You own the framework and you work full time on it. But there's still this part of like, how do you come up with an idea? Like, how do you know that I should build? I mean, Spark seems obvious. Yeah. So all of my products are sort of passion products in a sense that they sort of scratch my own itch. Forge, I was spending way too much time configuring servers. Boom. Let's automate all that. On Voyeur, we can't deploy Snappy and have it be down while we're deploying Let's or we can't deploy whatever. I can't deploy Forge even without it being down. So build something around that. Spark, I never want to have to write all the boilerplate code that I wrote for Forge and Envoyer ever again. So let's automate all that. And then with um, Nova, that was sort of the first product that someone had to sort of sell me on because David comes to me at Laracon New York um, 2017, I believe, or maybe even, maybe it was at 2018. No, it was at 2017. And he's like, you know, I really think we should build this thing for Laravel. And I just didn't get it at first. I didn't understand why I needed it. But then once he sort of like explained it to me, I was like, oh man, this is like, because people had asked me about it for years. Like, hey, you should build an admin panel for Laravel. And I was like, why would you even need that? And I yeah. just couldn't grasp it. And then once he explained it to me, I realized, oh, I've needed this my whole Laravel career and didn't even like realize it. And so he sort of like pulled the veil from my eyes there and helped me see it. And then this new product is the same way. Like I'm scratching another itch, you know, that I've developed. And that keeps me personally motivated about it because from the very beginning with Forge and everything, I always told even my wife, if nobody uses this product, I'm still going to use this product and I'm going to enjoy using it. Um, so even the same way with the thing I'm building right now, if no one builds this, uh, they're lost because I'm going to still use this thing a lot, yeah. honestly. Yeah. But I want see, this is where I wonder if you really are secretly a businessman because the, every software developer has all sorts of ideas that in some ways can be inane is probably the wrong word, but just, you know, there's, they might be, interesting to them from an academic point of view or mm -hmm. intellectual point of view. And actually, some of them might even be able to eventually, um, you know, become some sort of foundation for a commercial product, but the, the line just seems su super long, right? Yeah. But yours, you know, you're obviously noticing something that has business value or no one would be paying for it. And so do, do you think there's something about you that just recognizes, okay, wait a second, like, cause you, you could, you could, you could do anything. Yeah. I think one thing that 
my friend Adam Wathen and I have talked about that I feel like we both kind of share and that helps us in this regard is we both have a very low pain tolerance for sort of um, inconvenience in terms of programming. So Mm -hmm. like if you go on like Hacker News or like some programming forum and someone pitches an idea, a lot of people Mm -hmm. will sort of chime in and be like, well, you could just, you know, run your own Raspberry Pi in your basement and install this version of Linux and do the same thing for free. And those people just don't get it. You know, they just lost the plot entirely. And I think we just have like such a low pain tolerance for that kind of thing that um, some of the ideas like Forge, the whole time I was building, I was like, I just kept Googling, like this has to exist. Like it's, it was so, it felt so obvious at the time. But I think the thing was people were scared to build it in a way because all the people would chime in and be like, uh, you could just configure your own server using these scripts that I found on the internet or like, you mm-hmm. know, do it all by hand if you're a real programmer. And so everyone, you know, everyone kind of shied away from it, I guess. Yeah. Some of my favorite threads are to go back to like Hacker News threads and blog comments when 37, 37 Signals launched Basecamp <laughs> back in whatever it was. And... You know, it's so interesting because people are like, this is exactly like a blog. That's what they were saying about Basecamp. Exactly like a blog. This is stupid. It's never going to sell. And then also fairly quickly after Basecamp comes out, somebody launched an open source version. Mm, so now it's like, now you can just you can just run Basecamp for free. Wow. That open source version never took off. I don't even know if it's still around. Interesting. And so I think there is this... Uh, that's actually maybe a fundamental understanding <laughs> between you almost have to get out of your DIY mindset yeah, uh, and look at it from another point of view, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Because if you're like, of course, you could you could create something that, that generates an RSS feed for you and allows you to upload MP3s. <laughs> and al- of course, you could do that. Right. But are, are most people going to want to do that? And... If you gave most people the choice to do the lazy thing, mm-hmm. is that what they're going to do? Well, clearly, often that the easiest, laziest thing works. Yeah, I think so. And so, if you can download Spark and and not have to <laughs> rewrite all that template code, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always. I mean, I kind of do feel like the easiest solution just ends up winning most of the time. You know, for better or worse. Um, and I think PHP and Laravel in particular are sort of in an advantageous spot there because it's an easy language to learn, so it draws in a lot of people, and then Laravel is just sort of sitting there at the entrance to PHP with a big open mouth, like a big blue whale, you know, just kind of catching all these people being the most accessible full-stack framework, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of where I like to be positioned. Yeah. And I think this is another thing that I've noticed too is because this with Transistor, it's like the first time I feel like I've been in a market that's just growing super fast. Mm -hmm. And now I just kind of get it. It's like, oh man, like you don't have to try all these convoluted marketing tactics or it's, you just, you just let the, the rushing water take you. (laughs) Right. And it's a totally different feeling, which is. I think the lesson here, and it's not an easy lesson, but momentum really does matter. Yeah, I think so. Cool, Ben. Well, 
thanks so much, man. This was really fun uh, get, getting to talk to you today. What what should we tell people? They can follow you on Twitter, yeah, Taylor sure. Otwell. At Taylor Otwell, yeah. And they can, um, yeah, I have my own little podcast, the Laravel Snippet. They want to keep up with that. And of course, Forge and Envoy and Spark and Nova, those are all still active products they can check out. And, um, you know, if they haven't ever tried Laravel, give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put no, I'll put show notes to all those actually. And I think anyone that's thinking about starting a podcast or a business podcast should, uh, check out your show. I'll put it in the show notes because you just turn on the mic and start talking. Yep, I don't even edit that. <laughs> it's so, and it, it um, immediately it's like clear. It's often very current so they'll say, okay, and today on Twitter, there's some discussion around this. Here's what I'm thinking. It's brilliant. Like I like I said, I, I don't understand most of what you're talking about when it comes to programming, mm-hmm. but I just love hearing you kind of process all these things out loud. It makes it, it's, every business show should be like that. And you're also not trying to be someone else. Like you don't have a radio. All right, it's time for Laravel Snippet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're 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 just yourself. It's really refreshing. I will talk to you again soon. Thanks again, Taylor. All right, see ya. All right, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Taylor Otwell. Before I go, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. Brand new. For this week, we have Simon Bennett. He runs Snap Shooter. We have Corey Haynes. We have Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis. Dan Buda, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Kevin Markham, Sammy Schuchert, Dan Erickson, Mike Walker, Adam Duvander, Dave Junta, Junta, Kyle Fox at Get Rewardful. And of course, we have our monthly sponsors, Clubhouse and Balsamic. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.